Welcome to Planet Pod, the podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. Hello and welcome to Planet Pod with me, Amanda Carpenter. This is a very exciting day for Planet Pod, as not only do we have some fabulous guests around the table to talk about youth activism and the global climate strikes, this is our very first broadcast from our brand new studio. While many of our shows over recent months have been broadcast from outside locations, as you probably know, water meadows, meadows with herds of cows, slightly wet woodland or windy bridges over the Thames, We've been looking for a new home for some time and I'm delighted to say we found one and here we are in the Almond Studios at the old biscuit factory in Bermondsey. So if you're ever passing, drop in and see us. And what better way to start our autumn series of Planet Pod than by talking about the global climate strike movement. And it's an extraordinary phenomenon and you don't need me to tell you that it was started by Greta Thunberg in 2018 whose single action of sitting outside the Swedish parliament Um, every day until after the election with her famous school strike for the climate sign really gave birth to this movement and it's an I have to say and it's incredibly inspiring for me to see young people taking action and going out on the streets and changing the nature of Fridays in the Fridays for the Future movement but not everybody is as keen on the global strikes as I am and our guests today have different opinions and different views so I'm delighted to welcome Henry Scott who is a second year student. Um, actually, you're not, are you, Henry? You're, you're in your lower six at school. I got that wrong. You're in college, but you're in sixth from college, so apologies for that. But you are a member of the UK Students Climate Network. And Hattie Owens, who trained as a corporate lawyer and then saw the light and now works for Planet Earth. And John Hatton, who's from the energy company Alfion Energy. I hope I've got that right. Um, and he moved into uh, green and sustainable energy, having started his life at JP Morgan. So welcome, all of you, to Planet Pod. Hi, Amanda. Hi, thank you for having us. Thanks so much for coming. So can I start with you, Henry? I mean, why are you striking and how did you get involved in the movement to start with? Um, I'm striking because I'm slightly scared for my future and that's the message that has been explained to me through science and the media. And back in February, there was the first youth strike for climate and I didn't have anyone to go with because I'm from Epping Forest and it's a rather conservative constituency. (laughs) Uh, but I thought I'll go along anyway and hopefully I'll make a mate and I did Uh, and then it was in April that I got contacted by one of my friends at the UK Student Climate Network and that person asked me if I'd like to come on and uh, work in film and media and I was very grateful to and ever since then it's just been you know one strike after the next and next Friday we're hoping to get millions and millions of children onto the streets in Britain. So when you did that first strike what did your mates say to you? They said I was stupid for going and I'm wasting my education. Uh, I was at a private school uh, on a partial scholarship and they said you shouldn't be wasting it, your parents are paying loads of money and you're really fortunate to be here and I said well there's no point in me coming to school and my parents paying lots of money or anyone else paying any money at all if in the future you know it won't be sustainable or possible to educate children. So that's a pretty powerful argument but you couldn't convince your 
peer groups and your friends at that school to join you? No, because uh, for a lot of them, it came down to money and and they felt guilty that their parents had, you know, invested so much into their education and their future that wasting one day would be too much, in other words. Okay, that rather presupposes that kids are there all day, every day, concentrating all the time, doesn't it? But that's probably another argument. So tell me about the wider movement. What does it feel like for you as a as a student, as a young person, to take part in something that's grown in the way it has done over the last few months? It's really empowering to to be in that kind of movement and to know that you're not alone. Um, at the same time, there's a lot of eco-anxiety and eco-guilt that comes with it, and you can be left up at night sort of worrying about it, uh, either subconsciously or really consciously going, you know, what is my life going to be like in the future? I'm being told all these things, and it can spiral out of control. But at every march, you begin to feel better about it because there's loads of kids there trying to do their best to make the government listen or push some new climate agenda or reform the education system, get us votes at 16, you know, that we've got four demands and it's save, teach and tell and empower the future. Um, and it makes me really happy to go to these marches and there's a lot of adrenaline there too. You can come home after one feeling pretty knackered. So, But people would say that that's the nature of being, you know, a teenager, it's teenage angst. I mean, they call it eco-anxiety now, but, you know, this dates me. But when I was growing up, we were all worried about, you know, imminent nuclear explosions and we used to have conversations about what will you do with the final three minutes of your life and and it's a facet of being a teenager that you're worried about your future and yourself and your place in the world so why is the climate different and why is it you know why is it more than just an excuse to skip a day of school you know a climate crisis is an ecological collapse and it's going to affect the bottom you know, it's going to affect the bottom 99%, the bottom 50% of the country. And those people haven't even contributed to uh, making a kind of climate crisis happen. So why on earth should, you know, the people who are not responsible suffer the most? And it's sort of like, uh, as we are fortunate enough, and I was fortunate enough, just out of cosmic universe, that I was born in Britain, a very rich country, a very wealthy country with a lot of opportunities, a brilliant healthcare system, running water, you know, it's it's a very first it's a first world well it's an economically developed country and that provides a lot of a job opportunity so as myself who's realized and um, from media and stuff that i am fortunate enough to live where i am and it's been stressed to me by my parents my teachers you know you should feel lucky you're not uh, a child starving in africa that's the rhetoric that's been pushed on me so that makes me feel conscious about how fortunate i am and what i have to do to make sure that nobody else suffers because of my actions before I realised how damaging I was being to the environment. But John, you would say, because I mean, you come from a um, corporate background, finance background, but you're now in a um, green energy business, aren't you? I think you would say that actually, you know, Henry would be better off spending the time in school and making the most of those opportunities, wouldn't you? Mm, yes, I mean, I, I first, Henry, I'll start by saying, um, uh, although I've been invited to be uh, <laughs> to take an alternative view um, to. Uh, explore things. <clears throat> I haven't to set you up to be, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to be a sceptic. <laughs> uh, 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 and indeed, I'm very sympathetic to your journey. I mean, you're, you have anxieties, you want to do something about it, and we have problems to solve. Um, and not dissimilar to my own journey, really. Um, when I was sitting in, in an office in the, in the city, worried about these matters, um, I kind of looked at what I could do. And I suppose you are in the same position. Um, you're going to, what can I do? And my uh, 
taking a lead from Amanda, really what she sort of prompted me to say is that I think there are better uses of your time than, for example, uh, well, I don't know. Actually, I'd like to know more about what the uh, the, the, the protests involve, what, what actions are going to happen and how that's going to influence the bigger picture. Because then if you have those specific goals you want to achieve, uh, I'd love to sort of probe and find out maybe alternative ways of achieving them. Well, uh, that's that's really, it, I, love, I love the question because uh, that question is put to me a lot, especially by news medias and newsreels. They're like, oh, wouldn't, you, wouldn't your time be better served in school learning about the environment? So, so well, firstly, the environment is only in GCSE or A-level geography, and I don't take those subjects. So uh, when you're at a strike, there are, you know, tens of thousands of kids, especially the ones in London there, who are there to, they, they feel passionate about their cause and they're there to, you know, say something to the government, make us listen, you know, listen to us, we're, we're disrupting your traffic around Westminster. Mm. And I agree with you that maybe that's not the most effective approach, but it's the knock-on effect from that which actually has the biggest impact. If Greenpeace has the saying, it only takes one person to change the world, perhaps it could be you. And at those protests, kids feel really empowered and then they go on to come to podcasts for example like <laughs> like planet pod and they they some of them go on do news shows and they go on the bbc and they start spreading a message and on their social media as well which is a really powerful tool so strikes like you strike for climate network next week aren't necessarily the most effective at forcing the government's hand it, you know it's it's about seven six hours of disruptive progression and that maybe stops a maybe does some damage to the economy short very very short term but in the long run it causes systemic change and change of ideology and change of view and that is what is most important is that if none of these protests were happening regardless if they were six hours or three weeks like the ones from extinction rebellion some sort of change does happen and there's a ripple mm. in that child's future or his child's life or he or him uh, he or her starts to take an interest and it's from there that, you know, the ripple effect just goes spiralling. And then there's this change which you can't really stop. Mm. But I think you've got to look at the system in a whole. I mean, the government is one player in the system. And it turns out the government's actually uh, made, of, made of straw, really. Because if it doesn't get any votes, it collapses. Um, and what really drives government decisions is, well, voters is one. And you're making that point. I think it's a, it's a strong one. But um, you're also a consumer, you know, you're a consumer of goods. And the one thing companies who are also big uh, agents in this problem, um, one thing they fear most is losing customers. So, you know, the, there are, uh, and also you've got your family. I mean, um, I'm, I think it's another constituency that we often overlook as well as ourselves. You know, what do we, people project the solution onto the government as some sort of mighty, powerful, being that can just flip a switch and change climate. Actually, I think it starts with ourselves, it starts with our family, and it starts with the companies we deal with, um, and also with government too. So I would question, well, firstly, I'd, I'd like to know these changes, what they are, and then work back from, you know, I mean, obviously we know the big change, it's, it's, it's getting clim uh, carbon down to... Uh, I forget now what the most recent benchmark is. It, it was 400 a few years ago. I don't know what it is now. Um, but what, what are the things you want to change? And then kind of work back to what we can do to, 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 
to execute that change. I think that actually perhaps what we should be doing is we should be saying are we as adults in inverted commas just shutting our ears to what Henry is saying and I think that you know it's very easy to throw back back onto Henry and say okay give us your agenda and there's other things you could do but surely what the youth climate strikes have done is that they've empowered and in, in, in and you know really encouraged huge support not just from young people I mean you know Hattie you're a lawyer I think you're planning to go on strike aren't you? Yes yes so <laughs> I, I I suppose I'm in a I feel that I'm in a slightly unusual position because I am a lawyer, yes, but I work at Client Earth. I'm a, I'm a lawyer for the environment. Our organisation tries to protect people and planet using the law. Um, so, so I, as I say, I think my, my position is slightly unusual because every day um, I, I am trying to affect change while sitting at my computer. Um, but having said that, I still recognise the value in in working people showing solidarity by by joining the youth climate strike on um, Friday. Um, And I think that Henry has reflected some really interesting points about how striking made him feel. So when he joined in those those first marches, he felt empowered um, and he felt emotional. I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth there, but it seems to me that that, that that's what that, that did for you. And I think that this can have the same um, effect for adults, for working people. Um, we've talked a little bit about shifting attitudes and, and systemic change that, that can result from those sort of paradigm shifts. And I think joining together with people in a collective day of action is a, it's a really powerful thing to do. It's exciting, it's energising, it's fun, it makes you realise the severity of the situation and it gives you a sense of connection with people around the world. And that's why these intergenerational coming together of people is, is so crucial to, to power up the movement. Um, of course, it's a demonstration, um, but, but I don't think... It's just a demonstration. I think that, that, that there can be um, intentions behind that that we do then see leading to change, um, to refer inevitably to the Extinction Rebellion protests from um, earlier this year and those actions. Just days after um, their really successful occupations, we saw governments within the UK declaring a climate emergency. And those words, the language that we use matters, it shifts the conversation. And that's exactly what Henry's reflected. It slowly, slowly changes people's attitudes. And now the conversation is quite different because we've recognised we're in a climate emergency. And and that wouldn't have happened were it not for that action. So so I think that people coming together in, in collective action can be really valuable and really important in this whole story. So there is a real opportunity to shift the narrative here, isn't it? It isn't just mm. about making ourselves feel better, mm. though given how terrible life feels quite a lot of the time at the moment with various political upheavals and, you know, the wider climate issues, sometimes making yourself feel better is a good thing in mm. its own right. But it's actually about shifting attitudes, isn't it? And I think that what you've just expressed is that idea that big corporates or large, rather conventional institutions, be they local governments, national government or law firms or commercial businesses mm-hmm. could actually start to change behaviours as a result of what's happening on the streets. I mean, is that possible, probable? 
I absolutely think that given the right people thinking in the right way in an organisation, things can change. And what better way to try and engender that change than by not going to work, by disrupting um, the economy for a day um, and and really showing your employer or showing who, whoever it is that's going to matter in, in your specific context that you care and you want change. And sure, if you can strike and also come up with a list of demands and also make a personal pledge about the things you're going to do in, in your own life, um, then those actions are also really important. I think striking plus is something that that we should all be thinking about doing. Um, but, but whatever you can do, if it is just striking and telling your employer the reason why you're not in work today, um, I, I think there's real value in that. Do you think there's a danger of um, bandwagoning? I mean, because I've just been looking at some of the reporting around the strike and lots of companies are saying, oh, we're going to come out and sh- strike, we're going to shut our head offices for the day and Tumblr and various social media platforms are doing things. And and is that just they're jumping on the back of a movement? Um, you're looking at me. Um, yes, which I think would be a valid criticism. I mean, I suppose... Um, there's a virtue signaling danger, isn't there, that someone just does it and then they, 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 they talk the talk and then don't actually walk the walk in corporate terms. I think a lot of the protesters are genuine in their um, motives. But yes, I, I certainly think corporates would be um, guilty of that. Um, We've seen a lot of greenwashing in the energy industry, for example, don't we? I mean, we get those big energy conglomerates and the big you know, petrochemical companies who are just greenwashing like mad. Mm, mm. And you're from a green energy business, so presumably that's something you have to deal with. Yes, I I think um, what has... I I, I, I certainly uh, come from a different, difficult perspective in this debate because uh, I've had the frustrations with the intransigence on the big energy uh, company behaviour, but moreover corporate behaviour because that's where we focused. Um, So it's difficult to sort of to offer any contrarian perspectives there <laughs> but um, so do you think striking would help to shift some of those behaviors in those big corporates um, yes but I think if I think about how corporates behave they don't really care about what people appear to do they care about what people actually do so if you stopped filling up your car at a petrol station because you bought a different type of car that would cause them a great deal of alarm um, it turns out that that change in consumer behavior isn't really causing them any hassle at the moment they don't seem to be in the same way that um, big consumer brands they can uh, you know make all the right appearances but until people stop buying goods in plastic packaging or throwaway fashions that were made very cheaply somewhere in the world until people stop doing that they're not going to change their behavior one bit uh, and they probably would even send a few people on these marches to uh, just show that they have solidarity uh, keep an eye on the, the word on the street and then uh, go back to selling the stuff that people buy um, and there are alternatives um, I've got a good friend um, you, I don't know if you know Ben Patton he, uh, he founded the Green Mondays uh, event and now has uh, turned his attention towards um, a packaging uh, free supermarket venture called uh, Good Club I think look it up so if you want to buy your what, what's the Green Mondays? Oh, that was a, a gathering it was actually a, a really noble effort which was to get all the corporates in a room 
like you know the big brands we know um, and Sainsbury's used it very um, profitably to change their entire um, a bit like they did a plan A like Marks and Spencer or plan B whatever it's called um, so you've got all the corporates in the room, you've got all the green energy companies in the room. We sponsored it for a bit to get our name a bit out there. And the idea was to sort of fuse a lot of these uh, solutions uh, with the people who needed them. I would argue they not all of them like uh, addressed, uh, adopted the solutions they could have done. But So I think there's... What, how to make corporates listen, how to make governments listen is, is, is act with your with your purse and don't buy the stuff and the corporate will change. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, I actually do think it's helpful to, to tell, to ensure government sees what you're doing as well. I, I don't uh, want to see that. But, but young people who are joining Henry and his friends on the strike on Friday are enormously valuable in terms of customers and mm. potential customers and have a huge economic weapon at their disposal, don't you, Henry? Yeah, um, because we are able to you know, at these strikes, we're able to choose who speaks and and how they speak and what message they want to put across. We can deliver a huge message. And we're thinking about, you know, this Friday, especially in London, we're getting hundreds of thousands of people coming to this event and they're going to be listening to who's on, who's on the stage and who's speaking. Um, and it's important that we, edu- we educate as well as, you know, incentivize. So, for example... One of the things we call is for a Green New Deal. That will be mentioned on Friday. And it's an ambitious group of environmental policies that would rapidly decarbonize the economy and restructure it as well. So, for example, you've been talking about um, consumers and oil companies, you know, like the top 100 fossil fuel companies are responsible for 70% of the world's emissions. That's insane. So if we take a Green New Deal, we're essentially saying to BP, shell we're saying you can't do business in our country but at the same time we're also going to say to all the workers who work in those this is not the end of your career it's not the end of your jobs we're going to take that and we're going to transform and retrain you and give you new jobs and you know that kind of information that we go out to strikers and the adults that will hopefully be striking with us will incentivize them to spread the movement online and then of course change their habits as well. It's like, as Hattie said, striking plus is what we need. And at those kind of strikes, you know, they're, they're basically massive education seminars that kids can come along to and, and listen to people preach. Sounds like a good day out. Hattie, what, what about the irony of being, you know, a lawyer, so mm. an upholder of the law, mm. um, and choosing to do something which is essentially breaking the law, which is just going on strike and withdrawing your labour? So, I mean, is, that, is there a, a central, you know, irony in there, dichotomy problem? Um, for me personally, no, because I'm, I'm very lucky that my organisation is is supporting those of us who who want to strike on um, Friday. I think that for other lawyers, um, as as we've sort of thought about, um, if we really want corporations and and companies to change and to think about these issues seriously, then we got to hit them where it hurts. And if you're a lawyer and you're fee earning in a in a big firm or um, in a corporation, if you're in house, then by withdrawing your services for, for a day, you, you are taking away any fees that may have been earned by the partners in your firm for that day. So actually, um, in in the service industry in general, um, in, in corporate services and financial services, I think that there's there's a lot of power that people have. Um, and you sh- you should be able to use that. But I also think it's interesting, um, have, having spoken to some of my pals who are working in, in corporate firms at the moment, 
they've had no communications about whether they, they can strike or, or whether they um, whether their firms will support them in that or, or any reference to it whatsoever. So I think that there's a, in the legal profession, um, particularly in commercial law, that there's a huge way um, for, for, for those firms to come um, before they actually get to the point where, where they're really up to date with what general thinking is on this. Um, I was I was actually quite surprised when I checked in with a few friends and tried to tried to determine whether there was any talk about potential striking on Friday, and it, it didn't really seem to have crossed anybody's desks as yet, um, which is concerning and kind of disappointing. Yeah, it's a bit depressing, really, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I think I'm really interested in what you're saying, John, because it's you know. Hattie's obviously supported by her organisation, but I suspect even if you weren't, you might strike anyway, mm. given your interests in the environment. But surely what we've got to do is get everybody to take this seriously. And we let corporates off the hook all the time, don't we, by just saying, oh, well, you know, ultimately it's a case of economics and we'll get them all together in a club and a room and try and get them to change their behaviours. And they don't. So until we do something really radical as a nation, as a mm. group, both adults and young people... We're never going to get the changes that we need. I mean, we, we, we haven't got time to be complacent anymore, have we? Mm. I think when we talk about corporates, there's, it's, it's easy to lump, for example, BP. Yeah, I know. We can put them all together in the with, and they're all bad. In with Sainsbury's or someone, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there is a very big group. Of, I mean, corporates generate our taxes, by and large. They provide the services that make our economy possible, that make getting here to this podcast possible. Yeah, but a um, huge percentage of the population are actually employed by small businesses. They're not employed by corporates. Mm, I mean, you yeah. know, they, they generate a lot of wealth, but they hang on to a lot of that wealth. Oh, yeah, sure, they? sure. And they offshore a lot of that wealth. Mm. So it's not re- put back into the economy like it would be mm. with a small local business, for example. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a great point. The, the smaller businesses, um, I think a lot about when I take actions because I'm dedicated to this space and I think creatively around how I can improve my carbon footprint um, and, and do things in that uh, focus on the effort. But then I think about other businessmen who I come across who may be small businessmen like the... Um, Guy, uh, the guy, but excellent. He did a great job putting my double glazing in, which is an essential measure for. Uh, but he drives a battered old van. Um, he, you know, he has to get from A to B a lot, um, and there's no as yet legislation that enforces him to have a low carbon vehicle. Um, yeah, but there is an argument you know, for keeping old vehicles on the road because um, the embedded carbon in a new yeah, car, isn't it? But that's a different or, issue, isn't or it? Or a scrappage scheme stuff. And I think, well, what, how does he operate? I mean, he's a small business. He, he doesn't drink. He's got seven children. He supports them without benefits. He's a, a pillar of our small business society. He did an excellent job. And I think, okay, how do we make this possible for him? I think one part of that is certainly making him aware of it. Frankly, he may not even be aware. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, let's... He's got to feed his children and he works really hard. He pays his taxes. I'd be surprised if he isn't aware, but, you know. Maybe He's got it, seven kids. Maybe one of them is struggling. Yeah, indeed. Let's hope so. Henry, get on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, so, but how do we help his business go from what it is now to what it needs to be um, in a way that it can, can, he can continue to do business without adding huge costs to his customers, which means he'll lose business? Um, so I, th- I think we, we need to be creative and we can't just 
sort of wave a wand of legislation or uh, sort of slap in bans or um, we need to be we need to think carefully about how that can work and I think it's got to be some systemic um, we've got to get I mean I think the answer is get the cost of electric cars down which means getting lots of young people working in laboratories or universities and joining corporates oh, better public uh, transport better public transport yes um, but I think Henry you've got some answers about that haven't you because what you're saying is that I mean presumably that's what the new deal is and people could say oh well that's just young people calling for the moon and that's you know it's not realistic but but if we put the investment out of those big corporate emitting carbon emitting businesses and into the small innovative tech and into the new businesses then surely that will help make the shift well yeah i mean that's what the green new deal is about it's not just us asking for the moon and regardless we need to ask for the moon because if you don't ask for the moon you won't even get halfway there you know it's like a tactic some lawyers used i don't know if you use this hattie is asking for more than you actually want and getting what you actually wanted and so this deal is obviously it asks a lot it's a big 10-year plan it needs to be instigated immediately to reduce those emissions um but you know it's you know it's not a magic waving it's not waving a magic wand it's it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of commitment and we need to make sure that it happens so for example um you know transforming uh, your friend's business uh, involves government incentives so the government will the government through these environmental legislations, we'll go, okay, listen, we're going to give you some money so you can have the slightly more expensive electric vehicle so that we reduce our share of the emissions in the world. That's really important. And so that's where the government is actually most important in this because they're they're the one with the big bucks in this country, you know. Mm. Well, taxpayer. Well, Yeah, yes. but they spend the taxpayers' money. But the, exactly. law, the law is not as fit for purpose in this area as it should be, is it, Hattie? I mean, there's a lot more that we could do to both carrot and stick around legislation and behaviour change? Yeah, I mean, obviously earlier this year we've seen seen the changes to the Climate Change Act with the, the introduction of the new net zero target for 2050 when that was initially an 80% reduction on carbon emissions. Um, so, so we are seeing improvement and I, I also think it's interesting to note the timing of that. So the Climate Change Committee, which advised the government on that legislation, brought out its report at the beginning of May and it was about a month later in June that Theresa May actually announced she, she would make the change that the Climate Change Committee had recommended. And again, that was in the context of um, the continued Extinction Rebellion action. Um, the, I found it very powerful anyway, the David Attenborough's um, Climate Change, the Facts documentary, um, and the continued school strikes. And I think that for me anyway, it really felt that at that time there was a real moment, um, a, a real, to use the, the language that we hear about in the context of the climate crisis, a tipping point in attitudes. And, I, and I, so I think that's why, yes, we need law and that's very important. But law in itself is not sufficient. People don't always wear seatbelts. People take class A drugs. Um, you need people to buy into these legal changes. And that's what you get through the strikes. That's what you get through the protests by bringing people together and by its education as well, it's getting people to understand the problem. Um, But in terms of really getting these attitude shifts, I I think that these sorts of movements are are really crucial to that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's inspiring for for those of us who might have been in the 
you know, green environment, the green mm. movement for a very long time and got just a little bit jaded and a little bit downhearted mm. to actually see a whole new generation grabbing this mm. and, and having that energy and enthusiasm and passion. And, you know, it won't change that much, admittedly, but on its own, no, but w- with all those other aspects and all those the, the improved laws, government's action, and taking business right to the edge and forcing business to change mm. behaviours. But businesses are only made up of individuals. I mean, they're only as good as the people who work there. So if we all chose to withdraw our services and our labour and Sainsbury's couldn't sell any plastic packed set, you know, frozen goods mm. on that day because everybody had walked out, then that would be a very powerful message to send, mm. wouldn't it? So it's got to be a combination of all of exactly. those things. Henry, do you want adults to come? Or do you just think it's a tiny bit patronising and we're all just trying to be a bit hip and get down with the kids? <laughs> um, no, not at all. Because uh, obviously more bodies on the street means a wider audience. And one of my issues with one of the strikes has been that our audience has been obviously people who care about the movement. That's why they're there, because they care. I want to start reaching the people who don't care. So if we start pulling in adults, obviously adults aren't necessarily focused to one group. You know, one adult come along and then he'll go back to his mate who's actually very against the whole climate change rhetoric and he'll say, oh, mate, you should come on down because it affects you as well and explaining arguments logically and, you know, bringing another person there who will then spread that. It's, you know, again, it's a ripple effect and we need to make sure that adults are there even if they don't care about it necessarily because it it obtains more coverage and you know the more that people know about it and the more people that come and then tell their friends and their family cousins relatives dog maybe their neighbor's dog it's really really important that just everyone's there and it's it's all about communication and that and a lot of this goes on it's a lot of networking it's a lot of talking to people you've never met before um so there's a lot happening beyond just the day of the strike as yeah, well, isn't there? you know, there's massive amounts of stuff that goes on in the background. We at UK Student Climate Network are working around the clock, even, you know, in between strikes. We've got loads of campaigns going on. So we've got uh, educational campaigns. We're going into schools and we're going into colleges and universities and we're bringing lecturers to come and speak at events. And we're just trying to spread a message generally. It doesn't just revolve around the strikes. No, it's just a kind of, it's a, if you like, that's a signal for all the other things that are going on. So just focusing on the strikes is kind of missing the point, isn't it, really? And it's actually engendering action elsewhere. So have we vaguely changed your mind, John? I mean, are you going to, um, what can you take yeah. away from this that you can do <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, differently that isn't about striking? Well, um, yeah, I, 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 to be contrarian again, I mean, if you ask the government to do something, it's going to take twice as long, is my view. Um, you know, the NHS still send me letters for appointments for my daughter. Um, you know, I've actually w- also worked in a, in a startup um, that was trying to do clever things with an app and uh, for ENT-related con- complaints. But you just can't get the NHS, which is the most pure expression of our government. I mean, it's the planned economy of health, which we have in this country. And there's literally no way to get the NHS to adopt these great new technologies. They are slowly. They'll get there in the end. So is, the, is, is that the best route? Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm one part entrepreneur, one part green person. And I always feel a bit... I'm one sort, part banker. Well, <laughs> the, um, and, and you know, I'm sort of inspired by Steve Jobs because he, you know, he's done quite a lot to change the world in a positive way. And, you know, he, he in his uh, commencement address to Stanford students in 2004 or something, you know, he was saying, you, know, you don't have to leave university and then see the world as it is and 
work within that sort of corporate environment, you can change things because everything around you has been built by people who are probably no smarter than you. So if you think when you look at whatever it is in the, the day, well, why, why do we use this piece of equipment made of that that's clearly bad for the environment? Or why do I have to do this option? Because you, know, you can suddenly invent the, the solution. And as an entrepreneur, and I, and I take from your initial points, uh, Henry, and I'm really sympathetic to them, the fear of what's happening. And my response to anyone who's fearful, as indeed, you know, I would argue my initial response was when I left banking is, okay, how do I want to respond? And I could have gone wave, wave placards, but it's actually about doing stuff. And doing is more empowering, it's taking actions that have actual consequences that you can see, maybe, you know, with shouting at the government is something the government has to do, right? You know, you're reliant on agency. Um, and, it, and entrepreneurship can you know, lead you to concrete steps to, to deliver. And I mean, if I was in your position, I'd love, and maybe I might come along actually now, it would be to sample some of the, um, the views of the young people and then think, oh, wait a second, there's an opportunity here. I think maybe you should go there, actually. I think you owe it to Henry to go along. And I think that Henry would probably say that they aren't just waving placards, are you? No, we're not. We are, we are you know, we're actually doing meaningful work and meaningful change here. You know, it, it, it's not just resultant to our strikes. As I said, there's a million other things going on in the background that not a lot of people get to see. And the strikes is sort of where we get to showcase and gather everyone together and say, look, we're doing this. Mm. Listen to us. Hear us. Um, but I like what you said about entrepreneurship and, you know, being a banker and stuff like that, because uh, a green economy, some have said, is that requires an eco-socialist would say it requires the removal of capitalism. Now, I agree that there are plenty of solutions to creating a green economy, but the deconstruction of capitalism doesn't have to be one of them. It's important that we're tolerant of people's ideologies and we make sure that, yes, we're going to be living in uh you know, this deal as it is, is quite socialist. And that may go against what a lot of people believe. And it, you know, it may have difficulty getting through legislation, legislative bills in the House of Commons, because the whole House is not agreed on this. They're not like, oh, yeah, let's They're not agreed on anything, Henry. Well, actually, yeah, yeah, let's be honest is, is about that. Is the uh, model of the economy uh, a part of this uh, movement? Yeah, so there oh, is, uh, right. we aren't the ones developing the legislation, but we are standing in strong support of it. And we work uh, quite closely with some of the groups which are actually writing the legislation. Mm. I think that's but, a whole other program yeah, on the green really deal and, the, yes. and the green economy. But mm. that's a, and I think that we actually, you know, we owe it to Henry to give him our support, actually, mm. and all his, um, you know, friends and, you know, young and old who'll be there on the streets on Friday mm. and the Fridays after that, because let's face it, mm. it's not just one day, mm. is it? Mm. Because it's made us have this conversation. It's made mm. us think about this stuff differently. And it is changing the narrative and it is forcing people outside their comfort zones. Mm. So we should all take away from this, you know, persuade someone else to turn up on that day, yeah. lawyer mm. or banker or shop worker or, you know, mm. unionist or non-unionist, doesn't matter who they are, mm. to go along and to sample for themselves. Because then I think they'll hear a lot of sense. I don't think mm. they'll have just a lot of chanting is my sense of mm. what's going to happen. And we'll get Hattie to report back about what it felt like. You know. Yeah. This is mm. your first strike, Hattie. Um, yes, it oh. will be. I know. Yeah, no, seriously very exciting. exciting. Um, very exciting. Yeah, so I plan to go along to one of the local events um, close to where I live in Hackney. And um, yeah, more than welcome to come back and let you know how it went, how I felt. Great. Thank you all so much for giving up the time today and for kicking off the new PlanetPod studio with such style and passion and energy. And we really look forward to hearing more about what's happening on the ground. So Hattie, Henry and John, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us.
Thank you to my guests and thank you for listening. We would love to hear from you about what you think about Planet Pod. You can tweet at planet underscore pod or get in touch via the website theplanetpod.com where you can subscribe and download previous episodes. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give us a five-star review. It helps us make better programmes. Be sustainable and stay green. Planet Pod is an Akil Sounds production hosted by me, Amanda Carpenter, edited and produced by Jim Haywood, with additional research by Beth Palmer.